Turn to 1 Thessalonians 5.14. 1 Thessalonians 5.14. This is the end of the first letter that Paul wrote to the church in Thessalonica. And they are a church that's fairly young. They're doing a lot of things well. Um, but because of dynamics in their life, they, they, need, um, they need continued instruction just like us. We may be doing things really well, but that doesn't mean that we're, we graduate from needing instruction and encouragement and guidance. And so um, kind of what we're doing this morning as we open the Word together is the same thing that, that they would be doing as they read this letter from Paul. And so 1 Thessalonians 5.14 says this. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, and be patient with them all. I'm going to read it again. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, and be patient with them all. Today is part two of a three-part series titled, Admonish encourage or help, question mark. Um, We're looking at the intricacies of our relationships and how God aims to use our relationships to usher in his kingdom. How he uses the details of how we interact with each other, how he uses the words that we speak to each other and that we hear from each other for the forward movement of his kingdom. God commands and urges us to help each other when any of us fall into idleness faint-heartedness or weakness. And last week we considered what it means to admonish the idol. And what we found in the word was that to admonish someone that we love means to address them with loving warning and instruction that's rooted in the word and, and delivered gently. Rather than simply voicing our disapproval or shaming our beloved brother or sister in their sin, we aim to help them out of their lack of order and out of their lack of obedience to a healthier place of diligent faithfulness. That's God's design. When someone's in that place, his design is for you to help them by doing that. And it works. Sometimes we look at these things, it's like, well, will that really work? Well, is God trustworthy? I mean, we just kind of need to look at that first thing this morning. Is God trustworthy? Do you believe him to be trustworthy? Because some things that we're going to read in the word this morning kind of shock me. And, and looking at where people can be in the, the depth of, of despair and the faint-heartedness that's there, and it's like, what can we do for someone? I mean, if they just want to be left alone, do we leave them alone? And God says, no, I have a design for that. And so as we look at the details of that design this morning, I want us to just ask that question, is God trustworthy? Do you believe him to be trustworthy? And if so, take to heart what he has to say. This week, we're going to be looking at the next urging in the verse. Remember last week, it's Paul urging the brothers, the saints, the members of the church, not just the leadership, to do these things. And the urge, the thing that he wants to actually see happen in the church is encourage the faint-hearted. God, through Paul, tells the church, encourage the faint-hearted. How sweet is it to know that one of the things that God desires to provide for us through each other is encouragement. Just sit on that for a second. It is a sweet reality, an encouraging reality, to know that one of the things that God desires to provide for us through each other is encouragement. 
Think of all that God has to do, all the details that he tends to, all of the expanse of creation that he holds together, all the stars in the sky that it says in the word that we look up and we see them, we see them numbered, and none of them fall, and none of them um, go away. He holds them where they are for the right time, and he tends to those kinds of details. Think about all the intricacies of just the human body and what's going on in this room, and all that God does as our creator, and in that, and all the the things that we can't even wrap our head around, he, he actually cares when you're faint-hearted. He actually cares that you would be encouraged in a circumstance that it, it may seem small to the person sitting next to you, but it's not small to him. And he wants to encourage you in that. So the first question, do you believe that God wants you to be encouraged? Some of us sitting here may not actually believe that because maybe we've gone through a hard season or we've gone through a hard week or a hard year or maybe for some of you just a hard life. Do you believe that God wants to encourage you? Do you believe that God has a plan to raise you up out of your faint-heartedness when you find yourself struggling? I want to state this clearly up front because if someone is sitting here this morning in need of encouragement, Oftentimes in that state, we forget how God feels about us. We forget, we forget God's um, his approach and his demeanor toward us when we're in a state of despair and faint-heartedness and we need encouragement. So I want to make it really clear up front. We forget what God has done for us. We can forget what God has promised us. And I want you to know from the get-go that God deeply desires that you are strongly encouraged. That's the main point of this morning. If you're writing notes, write that down. God deeply desires that you would be strongly encouraged. Turn to Hebrews 6. Hebrews chapter 6. Just to the right a little bit. Hebrews chapter 6. And we're going to look at verse 17. Now some of you may be thinking, isn't Hebrews 6 on apostasy? Why would he go there on an encouragement morning? What's he thinking? Um, and it is. That's actually what's encouraging about this text is it's, it's in a place it's talking about when people fall away and um, having to reteach hard things because they haven't grown up to the food and they're just drinking the milk. And then in Hebrews 6, chapter 17, we see this. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose... He guaranteed it with an oath. So that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strength or might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus is gone as a forerunner on our behalf. Remember the Hebrew context. They're kind of hunkered down behind closed doors. The the biggest threat would be for them to just go back to Judaism because it's what's easy. And God wants them to persevere in what's true and what is set forth for them in their Christianity. And And he guarantees his promises with an oath and he swears by himself. What we see in this verse is that the unchangeable character of God's purpose is meant to be an anchor for our soul and a strong encouragement. Does that sound good to some of you, an anchor for your soul? 
Do you feel like you might have a soul that just sort of drifts to and fro depending on which way the wind is blowing that day? You wake up with thoughts of futility. Um, man, something bad's going to happen today and I just got to figure out what to do and you just kind of feel tossed to and fro. Consider that God wants you to have an anchor for your soul and it's in regard to the certainty of his promises because he swears it by his own name. So it's not our own character, but God's character that we look to. He is the one who invites us to come to him. And when we come to him, we find a God who deeply loves his children. God deeply loves you, and that should affect you greatly. When we come to him, we find a God who deeply loves his children, giving them favored access to himself, as we learned a few weeks ago in Morris' sermon. He gives us favored access to himself. Are we using it? We find a God who never leaves us or forsakes us. A God who is faithful to, f- to finish in you the good work that he began in you. A God who sustains us through hardship and gives us reason to persevere. And in all of these things, the thing that is really wonderful for God's people is he never changes. There's never a time where he says, you know what, I'm not going to persevere with my people today. There's never a time for those of us who are in Christ where he says, you know what, I saw you through this far, but no, no more. Our God perseveres with us. He's gentle with us. He gives us strong encouragement because of the strength that he has in himself that he imparts to us through Christ. The rock-solid purposes that he has affirmed with an oath by his name will remain eternally for his glory and for our good. These truths are meant to dwell in us richly. Each of us sitting here this morning need to be regularly reminded who our God is. If I, when I thought about the Encourage the Faint-Hearted sermon that we're in right now, I thought, what can I say, what can I do to encourage the people? And, and it's so, it seems so sort of simple and obvious, but we have to go to God. I can't lead you somewhere else and have you drink from that stream and hope that you're encouraged. You have to go to the Lord. We have to see him clearly for who he is and for what he does and how he is towards his people, and his people will be encouraged by that. Regularly reminded who our God is, making sure that we're not simply believing in a version of him, that's in our heads or that has been shaped by our circumstances. That happens to many of us. Our circumstances stink. We go through a hard season. Someone we love walks away from us. Someone we love maybe dies. Um, Something happens with our job with uncertainty. Something happens with our children with uncertainty. We face trials in our marriages. We face trials of all sorts of different kinds. And in those things, we have to make sure that our circumstances aren't shaping our view of God more than the word shapes our view of God. I met with someone yesterday. I heard from him. Um, He's going through, he and his wife are going through a, a difficult season of uncertainty. And they're doing so faithfully. And he just said, I just, when the emotions come, I just got to go to the word and say, is this true or is it not true? And then I have to respond as a worshiper because I know that, that God is good. That's our approach. We can't let our circumstances shape our view of God more than this word shapes our view of God. The encouragement that God gives us is the unchanging and unending beauty of his eternal presence, no matter your circumstances. This is challenging because a lot of us are like, well, no, I'm focused on my circumstances and I want him to focus on my circumstances. But in those things, we have to look to God and know that he's the one who is unchanging in each of them. He is good. He's a God who has chosen to make himself known for the purpose of sustaining his sheep as the good shepherd. Turn to Isaiah 40. Isaiah 40. 
We've already heard encouragement from Isaiah 35 this morning. Now we're going to go to Isaiah 40. Look at verse 10. Isaiah 40, verse 10. I've heard it said that this is one of those chapters that God gives us to make sure we don't lose our awe. Because if we fall out of awe of God, then we'll flounder in so many other areas. And I've heard this explained as one of those types of chapters in the Bible where God says, I want you to look at me, and I want you to be encouraged, and I want you to be in awe. I want you to be absolutely floored by who I am as your God. Look at verse 10, Isaiah 40. Behold, the Lord God comes with might, And his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him, and his recompense before him. Sometimes we just stop there. We see the Lord God in might. We see a God who can rightly be full of wrath because of our unrighteousness, which suppresses his truth. We see a mighty God, and sometimes we stop there, and we tremble, but maybe we're not trembling in the right way because we see a God who rules mightily, and for many of us, we don't know if he is approachable. If that's you this morning, I want you to listen really closely. If you see a God who rules mightily and you think, I don't know if he's approachable, there's encouragement for you in this word this morning. And then we may think that if he is approachable, we don't know how to approach him. He's mighty and more powerful than we can understand. And if there's nothing else in the equation, we really don't know what to do with a God that mighty, that powerful, that all-knowing, that sovereign. But I want you to look at the next verse. God wants us to see his might. He wants us to raise our heads and just be blown away like, oh my goodness, our God is very good. He is over all, in all. He sustains. He does all these things. And man, I tremble because he is so holy. He is so holy. And then look what he says in the next verse. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. If you're a parent of young children, be encouraged by that. I remember sitting in the NICU with my son and thinking, a God who gently leads those that are with young. He picks us up. He carries us when it's appropriate. So yes, there is this mighty, holy, white, hot, holy God who gently leads you who picks you up when you need to be picked up, who who gathers you in his arms and says, I know what you need more than you know what you need. I'm more focused on your needs than you are. I've got you and I love you. And I want you to be encouraged in this uncertainty or in this difficulty. This picture of tenderness is one that is needed when a child of God is faint-hearted. If you're faint-hearted this morning, I want you to know our God is tender. We, we talk here at Crosspoint a lot about how strong he is, how mighty he is, how sovereign he is. And I want you to know that his tenderness doesn't butt heads with that reality. It makes that reality all the more beautiful. Because what you're doing there is you're seeing God really for who he is. He is mighty. He's strong. The wrath that he has is very real. It's towards unrighteousness because unrighteousness suppresses the truth. But for those who confess their sins, those who repent, those who follow Jesus, you have to know our God is tender as well, gently leading those that are with young. 
walking alongside you families with young children, walking alongside those in uncertainty and saying, I will, I will take care of you because I am your God and I know the details more than you do and I am fully trustworthy and I'm unchanging and my character is good and you can put your hope in me. Look down at verses 28 through 31 in the same chapter. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youth shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. That's what was happening in the first Thessalonian the letter to the Thessalonian church. And young men shall fall exhausted, but they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. By God's design, he wants you to set your eyes on him and be encouraged. By God's design, in your weariness... He desires for you to look to him and know for absolute certain that he never grows weary. That's encouragement in your weariness. You look to your God and say, he never grows weary. I can trust him. I can follow him no matter what uncertainty is ahead. He never grows weary. That's his design in your weariness. Know that he doesn't grow weary. When you're having trouble sleeping at night, one of the verses we share with our children is, in peace we both lay down and sleep, for you alone make us dwell in safety, because he never sleeps or slumbers. So when you're sitting there having trouble sleeping because of your faint-heartedness or the things you're facing, you say, I can look to my God and know that he's not sleeping. He doesn't need a break because he never grows weary. When you are faint, he wants you to look to him and take comfort in the fact that he does not grow faint. When you lack understanding, he wants you to look to him and know that his understanding is unsearchable. And in your weakness, he wants you to look to him and to know that he has no weakness. Your God has no weakness. He is strong and he will sustain you in your weakness. So now that hopefully... We believe in the reality of God-given encouragement. I want us to look at the details of our responsibilities in it, because that's what the verse in 1 Thessalonians is talking about. What responsibilities do we have as God's people if there is some such thing as God-given encouragement? What responsibilities do we have? Go ahead and turn back to 1 Thessalonians so that that verse is real clear to us. It's right there in front of us. 1 Thessalonians 5.14. We urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, and be patient with them all. First, as a people, we need to keep a lookout for faint-heartedness. If we see God and his goodness and see what he's communicating to us as far as his plans to raise us out of faint-heartedness, to look to him for strength, to know that he doesn't grow weary, as his people, we need to look and to keep a lookout for faint-heartedness. We need to be on watch for those moments or seasons when one of our brothers or sisters falls into despondency. This is when someone's spirit is low because of a loss of hope, or a loss of courage. 
So if you are a person who's sitting here this morning and your spirit is low because of a loss of hope or a loss of courage, I want you to know that God has designed it that the other people sitting in this room would be keeping an eye out for you. If you're a person who doesn't keep an eye out for such things, be challenged by this verse to listen to people, to see where they are and to know God has something really great for them and I might get to deliver it to them in the form of words from the Lord. Real encouragement. For those in the Thessalonian church, there were two main reasons for their faint-heartedness. Persecution and the death of loved ones. Persecution and the death of loved ones were the things that were causing faint-heartedness in the Thessalonian church. These are some very real hardships that cause very real heartache. And I want you to hear this clearly, very real heartache that God cares deeply about. The persecution and the faint-heartedness the faint-heartedness that came from the persecution and the death of loved ones, I mean, that's, that's real. My soul hurts. My heart hurts. I've lost someone that I love. And God's saying, I have a purpose in that. And he cares deeply. This should challenge us immediately because we're called to be image bearers. Hopefully we see clearly from the scriptures that God cares when you're faint-hearted. Now, consider that we're called to be image bearers. That means that to rightly bear the image of God... We must also care when someone has lost hope and or courage. Hopelessness in another person should have a real effect on you. Hopelessness in another person should bother you. And I'll even take it a little bit further. Hopelessness in another person should not annoy you. We should consider what is causing that hopelessness and what words has the Lord given me to sustain them and to encourage them. This is where those of us who aren't real big on emotions will struggle. I'm not, I'm not real big on emotions. I, I have had a tendency, especially earlier on in my pastoring, where someone would come and say, this makes me miserable. And I would say, okay, well, let's not focus on that. If it makes you miserable, let's go over here. This makes me feel a certain way. Well, stop it. It's kind of like when your kid says, it hurts when I do this. Okay, don't do that. But for those of us who aren't real big on talking about our emotions or listening to others talk about their emotions, this is a challenging portion of Scripture for us. Because if you don't care how people feel, you will not encourage them in their faint-heartedness. You will add to their faint-heartedness. If they've been brought low, you're going to bring them lower. Emotions, we have to care about them. Those of us who aren't real big on emotions need to realize that we must care how people feel so that we can understand those feelings and then rightly help them to move to a healthier place. The joke when you go to a counselor is that you talk and you talk and you lay on the sofa, you talk and you talk and you talk, and then the counselor says, and how does that make you feel? It's a joke that it's kind of like, really, I came here and paid money for you to just tell me, how does that make me feel? But they're trying to get to the heart of why you're thinking and feeling what you're feeling so that we can do something with that that is healthy and more in accordance with God's word. I don't want you to stay here, but I have to understand why you're here so that I can encourage you in your faint-heartedness and bring you over here to a healthier place so you can see God clearly and be encouraged by who he is. Focus on his character. When we see someone who's lacking enthusiasm and confidence because of their circumstance... God calls us to step in and encourage them. Now, this is where we must be wise and discerning. Because this is a real simple little verse. Admonish the idle, encourage faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. 
We don't want to admonish the faint-hearted. We don't want to admonish the faint-hearted. We don't want to admonish the faint-hearted. For those of us who believe in a big, sovereign, mighty God, sometimes we can move into a place that is wrong where we are insensitive to people. And we have to be very careful about that. They say, I'm hurting. Well, you shouldn't hurt. God's good. Hold on. Let's not admonish the faint-hearted. This is where it gets a little bit more detailed, a little bit more of a, the kind of dynamic in a relationship where you have to have wisdom, you have to have insight, you have to have discernment that comes from the Lord. And this is, this is why. It is possible, take this person who's faint-hearted. It is possible that this person's loss of hope in God and their lack of confidence in God has led them to a place of idleness. Well, now it just got more complicated. If they were just faint-hearted, I would know, okay, um, encourage them. But if that faint-heartedness and that loss of courage in God and that loss of belief in God, that loss of looking to God and knowing that he's trustworthy, if that leads them to a place of idleness, well, now I have one person who, he's two, there are two things, and how do I admonish and encourage them without stepping on them and hurting them or wounding them in their trial? So while this verse may be simple, the application of it is certainly not always easy, and this is why. At times, you may have different people who are each of these things at different times. This person is idle, this person is faint-hearted, this person is weak. It's real clear what you do there. At other times, you may have one person who is each of these things at different times. So I met with them last week, and they were faint-hearted, so I gave encouragement. But now I meet with them this week, and they're idle. Same person, just different moments. Or you may have a person, I think I've been this person at times, where I am idle, faint-hearted, and weak, all in the same moment. Okay, now what do we do there? How how do I, I mean, if you're just one of those, it'd be easy to say, okay, I'm going to do this. But what if one person is all of these things at the same time? I want you all to know it's, it's probably, that's probably the most likely occurrence. It's probably the most likely occurrence. We have a lot of emotions, a lot of things that go through us when we go through hardship and through trial. And it's likely that we can be a little bit of any of those things at any given time or all of those things at any given time. This is where it's necessary not to label a person, but to listen to them and to biblically address what they're going through. I want to say that again. This is where it's necessary not to label a person, but to listen to them, to persevere in your relationship with them, to hear what they are saying, to understand how they are feeling, and then to just biblically address each of those things appropriately. I hope you're seeing something that takes a lot more investment than the snap finger, oh, I say this, you should be better now. I, I encouraged you, why are you still faint-hearted? I helped you. Why are you still weak? Stop it. I admonished you. Why are you still... I, I admonished you. I did that once. I did it very clearly. I used the Bible verse. It was awesome. What are you doing? It takes patience. It takes perseverance with people. We walk with people. We should be invested in the lives of other people. This is challenging because some people can be very difficult. Let me just... If you're feeling like, ooh, I just zained you, I, I can be very difficult sometimes. Ask my wife. There's times where it may be very difficult for her to look at me and say, I don't know. Is it encouragement? Are you idle? I don't know. People can be difficult. We're sinners. That makes us difficult at times. 
people can be <laughs> difficult. I admonish them in their idleness. The next thing you know, I'm having to encourage them in their faint-heartedness. And then the circumstances changes, and the circumstance changes, and I'm supposed to help them in their weakness. Is it never-ending? Will you never be pleased with what I've given you from the Word? If it sounds unnecessarily cumbersome and foolish to step into such an arena, the call for you today is to repent. This is what we're called to with each other. It's not neat and tidy. It's messy. God uses sinners to help sinners. Yeah, that's going to be a mess sometimes. It's going to take time. We don't just snap our fingers and fix other people. We persevere with them. We walk with them. We believe that there's God-given encouragement for them, and we believe in large part he's going to deliver it through his people, through one sinner to another sinner. Remember the last part of 1 Thessalonians 5.14. It says, encourage the faint-hearted. Admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted. Help the weak be patient with them all. I mean, let's be honest. It's probably easier to be patient with faint-hearted people more than it is idle people, Right? Or if you're a very strong personality, a strong person who never wavers in the face of adversity, it's probably going to be very difficult for you to be patient with the weak person. But that's what we're called to. Be patient with them all. I believe that God knows how hard this will be for us. We're sinners called to admonish, encourage, and help other sinners over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. And in this thing that we're called to, it's good to know up front that God calls you to be patient with every single one of them who need your help, encouragement, and admonishing. So practically, what would this look like? I want to share one example of what, how these different dynamics might come together in one person where there's a faint-heartedness and there's an idleness and what do we do there? And so practically, what would this look like? Well, you may have an individual who is faint-hearted because of their indwelling sin. I actually talked to a number of people where this is probably one of the most, one of the biggest causes of our faint-heartedness. I'm a sinner and it wears me out. Over and over again, I try to stop doing that, and I keep doing it. You hear Paul in Romans, the very thing that I want to do, I don't do, and the very thing that I don't want to do is what I end up doing. It's no longer I who sin, it's sin that just dwells within me. We just feel like, just this, it's this futile thing. We're sinners. I want to do good, and I don't. Why? Because I'm a sinner. And it just leaves some of us faint-hearted. Again and again, they try to put it to death. And again and again, they seem to step right back into that habitual, corrosive sin. In their faint-heartedness from their sin, we're called to encourage them with truth. And that faint-heartedness, because of the indwelling nature of our sin, our depravity, we're called to encourage them in the truth that sanctification is a process, and God never calls us to something that's impossible It's not impossible for you to put sin to death. It's not impossible for you to overcome something that seems to rule over you. It's not impossible for you to actually change from just being an angry person your whole life or an impatient person your whole life or a discontent person your whole life. It's not impossible. That's the encouragement that someone who's faint-hearted over their sin needs to hear. They need to remember that Jesus is the only way for them to receive forgiveness for their sins and that Jesus invites them freely to confess, repent, and follow him in life to the fullest. They need to be encouraged that while they're growing faint in this fight against sin, God does not grow faint. He provides a way of escape 
is what he says in the word. And his son, who is our hope, was tempted just like we were, but he never failed as we so often do. So we can put our hope in him. Now, if this person who is faint-hearted because of their sin nature moves to a place of doing nothing about that sin, then they've become idle. You see how that works? If this person who is faint-hearted because of their sin nature, I'm depraved, I'm a sinner, my heart is wicked above all else, who can know it? If, if they move from a place of being faint-hearted to a place of doing nothing about their sin, then that person has stepped into a place of idleness, at which point they must be warned about the disorder in their lives and instructed to confess and repent and put into place some accountability. These kinds of things aren't addressed in a two-minute conversation. They need to be reminded that their depravity was never meant to leave them in a place of discouragement. If your depravity leaves you in a place of discouragement, it has fallen short of God's intended purpose. The purpose and reason for us to see our depravity is to lift our eyes to the eternal sufficiency that only exists in Jesus and be encouraged. We have to get to a point where we are okay with being very needy yet not discouraged. The only possible way that a people can be very, very needy and needy of our God all day, every day, and not be discouraged is to believe that he wants to provide for your needs. To believe that he will provide for your needs. To believe that he will give you exactly what you need when you need it. That is the absolute only way that we can be needy and not just just slammed and covered in discouragement. A needy people who are not discouraged because we believe that our God will meet our needs. Encouragement in our lives is hugely important. Consider what happens if the church is not encouraged. Just take a moment to consider what would a church look like that is not encouraged at all. The word of hope and the light of truth don't go forth. The beautiful feet that carry the good news are encouraged feet. They're feet that believe God's going to do what he says he's going to do. This is why God calls us to encourage our faint-hearted brothers and sisters. So what does it mean to actually encourage someone? We throw that word around a lot. It could have some depth to it. So let's consider for a moment what does the word mean. And the word actually has at least two parts to its meaning. The first is to console or to soothe. The the easiest picture of this is is a crying baby. You pick up the baby, you console them, you soothe them and calm them. So the first picture of encouragement is console or soothe. And the other part of that word is to, to stimulate someone to carry out their responsibilities in the most earnest manner possible. To stimulate someone to carry out their responsibilities as a Christian in the most earnest way possible. So to encourage someone is to look at them and to say, I want to help you do what you're called to do. And I want to help you to do that really well. You may know encouragers. That, that little picture may spark something in your mind where I'm like, I know someone like that. Every time they're around me, they're saying, I want to help you do well that thing which you're called to. I want to come alongside you and give you words, give you instruction, give you reminders about truths that help you to just move forward in joyful faithfulness because your God's really good. To stimulate someone to, to do what they're called to do as best as they possibly can. That's what it means to encourage. So our goal is to console someone in their hopelessness. That they 
might enjoy and sound forth the hope that they have in Jesus. I don't want them to stay hopeless. I want them to see Jesus be filled with hope and go and walk in that and tell others about it. That's what an encouraged church does. To encourage is to soothe someone in their fear and their hesitation so that they might walk in a faithful zeal, even through hardship and heartache, fulfilling their joyful responsibilities as new creations. I want us to close by considering what's, what's the best way for us to prepare for a ministry of encouragement? What is the best way for us to prepare as a people if we are called to encourage the faint-hearted? What can we do to prepare for a ministry of encouragement? Turn to Isaiah 50. Who would have thought Isaiah had so much encouragement? In Isaiah 50, there's a sharp turn in the middle of the chapter, and it's on purpose. So let's read verse 4 in Isaiah 50, and then we'll, we'll look at the dynamics of the chapter. Isaiah 50, verse 4. Love this. The Lord God has given me the tongue of those who are taught that I may know how to sustain with a word him who is weary. The Lord God has given me the tongue of those who are taught that I may know how to sustain with a word him who is weary. Don't you want those people in your life? Man, when I'm weary, I would love to be surrounded by people like that. Morning by morning, he awakens. He awakens my ear to hear as those who are taught. That's God's design, is that you are surrounded by people like that, that can sustain you with a word when you're weary. In the first three verses of this chapter in Isaiah 50, what we see is the disobedience of Israel. And in verse 4, there's a really, really stark shift and this section starting in verse 4 is the third of what is called these four servant songs. And these servant songs anticipate the Messiah. And in doing so, reveal what should be the character of his people. What we do when we look at this is we see Jesus. The Lord God has given Jesus the tongue of those who are taught that he may know how to sustain us with a word when we are weary. Morning by morning he awakens. He awakens my ear to hear as those who are taught. This is a foreshadowing of our Messiah. And if we see the character of our Messiah, you are to see the character of his people. That's the way it is with you as well, as a saint. People should be able to look at you and know what the character of your church is. Are you encouraging? Do you care about their faint-heartedness? Are you walking with them? Do you listen when they speak so that you can know who they are and where they're at? There is a way to sustain one who is weary. And first, it is with a word. Don't take lightly what we can do with our words. There are books written on the effect and the power just of words. Don't take that lightly. In Ephesians it says, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. Christians, that means don't let any corrupting talk, not just corrupt talk, corrupting talk. Because when it comes out of your mouth, it corrupts other people. The only thing that is to come out of our mouth is that which builds others up. That's it. So later on today, when you fall into complaining or discontentment or anger or any number of things, 
Think about that Ephesians verse. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only such as is good for building up as it fits the occasion. That means that there are occasions that God knows about and you are in that occasion and he has a word for you to speak that is fit for that occasion. And how do we know these words? How do we know what to say when this happens? We sustain with a word him who is weary and the way to do that is to be taught. Taught by this. If I don't have this... I'm not going to be able to encourage you very well. If this is not dwelling in me richly, I won't be able to admonish or encourage or help you in the right way. It says, the Lord has given me the tongue of those who are taught that I may know how to sustain with the word him who is weary. If you just work backwards, you'll see someone who is weary and you'll go to what might come out of your mouth. And if you are not one who is taught by this word, you will not sustain that person. You will not encourage them in their faint heartedness. My goodness, what a blessing it is that God has a room full of people here who are to help a room full of people not to remain discouraged. And he gives us this, that we can do it. I mean, the call to read our Bible and spend time in this, that is not some elementary thing that our children do. Every day we should be opening this word and going to it and saying, I want to know who my God is even more today than I did yesterday. And in doing that, that is the best thing that you can do to be someone who encourages other people. We're to be encouragers. We should be the kind of people who wake up each morning eager to hear from God what he has to say, that we might use that to comfort others. As we take the supper, I want us to consider the servant Jesus. The word says that he suffered in order to sustain other people. He suffered on the cross that we would be sustained, that we would look to him and see our God making the ultimate sacrifice for his people and that whatever our circumstance, whatever our trial, whatever the tribulation is that we're facing, we would be encouraged and we would be sustained. He does not want you to get halfway through the race and stop. He wants you to finish well. He wants you to persevere to the end of your life and he gave his own life so that you could do it and that is supposed to be encouraging to us. We're supposed to look at our circumstance and have our eyes lifted to the one who is the God of the circumstance and to be encouraged and to move forward and to not just move forward but to bless other people as we're moving forward. You almost see this wave of people that are moving forward through their trial, through their tribulation, through persecution, through death of loved ones, through uncertainty and as this wave moves forward you just see people encouraging one another at different times. Receiving encouragement, giving encouragement. Receiving encouragement and giving encouragement but all the while moving forward. Not stuck in a ditch of despondency and faint heartedness. God has a design to pull you out of that. Turn to Acts 14. Acts chapter 14. I told my wife I was going to work really hard this morning, never to take anything but an encouraging tone. But when I get excited, sometimes it sounds like an admonishing tone. Is he admonishing us or encouraging? Is he encouraging us with an admonishing tone? If that's confused you this morning, please know my desire is that you're just encouraged. 
Our God is really good, and he tells us these things in the word, that when we look at him, it's like, I just want to scream it. I want to yell very loudly so that everybody might be encouraged and rise up out of their faint-heartedness and be thankful for one another and to our God that he gives us one another to sustain each other with words. It is so beautiful when we can see this beautiful painting of what God has done for us in our lives. Look at Acts 14. As we look at verses 19 through 22, what we should see is the effect of Jesus' suffering on us. When we know that our Lord went to the cross and he died and three days later he rose and he conquered death, that should have an effect on us, that he would do such things to sustain his people to the end. Look at 14, verse 19. But Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul. Paul's the guy who wrote everything we've written, everything that we've read from the New Testament this morning on encouragement. He's the one who wrote the letter to the Thessalonians. And the Jews... They persuaded the crowds, and they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. I mean, just look at the heartache of the circumstance. This man who trumpets the goodness of God, who speaks with boldness about how good Jesus is, just had a crowd that doesn't even know him stirred up by other people who hate him to take rocks and to throw them at him until he stopped moving. And then they just drag him outside of the city, assuming that he's dead. That could be very discouraging for anyone who knows that man. That could be discouraging if you're that man. Verse 20. But when the disciples gathered about him, he rose up and entered the city. This is a little bit crazy. They thought he was dead. No, no, I'm going to do some more preaching. He rose up and he entered the city. And on the next day, he went on with Barnabas to Derbe. When they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying that through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. How would you respond to someone who was stoned and left in a ditch for dead if they looked at you and said, be encouraged, be strong. I want to give you words that strengthen you and bolster you and lift you up so that you can continue. Because when I was laying in that ditch, I knew that it wasn't over. God still had something for me. And so just as he raised me out of that ditch and people thought I was dead... You're not dead in your circumstance. You're not dead in your tribulation. You're not dead in the water. You have what it takes to move forward and to be strengthened, to be bolstered, to be encouraged, to do the work that you're called to do by our great and glorious God who calls you to do it and gives you what you need to do it. Imagine how encouraging it would be to hear those words from Paul who had been stoned and left for dead. And here again the important part of this verse strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in their faith, and saying that through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. Some of us think the only way that you're going to encourage me is to tell me that there will be no more tribulation. The only way that I will be lifted out of this ditch of despondency and despair is for you to tell me that bad thing is never going to happen again. 
that the hardships will never come and the trial will never be so real as it is right now. And I want you to know there are pulpits full of people who will tell you that. Come to Jesus and everything will be great after that. That doesn't reconcile with through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. I'd be lying to you if I said, come to Jesus and nothing bad will ever happen to you. You'll never have money problems. You'll never have marriage problems. Your children will be um, wonderful children who only obey and speak an eloquent Old Testament King James Version language and they'll impress people and people look at you think you're a great parent and then it'll be good and, and everything will be just peachy and wonderful. No, it's through many tribulations that we enter the kingdom. I want to encourage you with that. Why? Encouragement doesn't come from a tribulation-free life. Encouragement comes when we realize that the purpose of our tribulation is that it's what we must go through to enter the kingdom. If you don't have an eternal perspective in your tribulations, you'll get tripped up. But having an eternal perspective when things stink will be very helpful for you to persevere as an ambassador of God. The reality, this reality of certain tribulation is what Paul drew upon to strengthen and encourage the souls of his disciples. That's what he went to. Guys, I want to strengthen your souls. I want to encourage you. And to do that, I'm going to remind you that it's through tribulation that we enter the kingdom. And in Christ, he gives us one another to meet faint-heartedness with loving encouragement. As we prepare to take the supper, just spend a few moments in awe of your Savior who cares where you're at in life and who has given you many people to speak words of encouragement to you. Be in awe of a God who even reveals himself to stubborn people like us. Be encouraged that your depravity does not leave you hopeless, but that he gives us his own life, which is represented in the elements, that we would see truth and be encouraged and persevere to the end, even through tribulation and even through trial, even when we seem more weary than we can handle, he can bring us through everything. And he'll likely use each other to do that. Let's pray.